assist you, Father, in your work. You know, since I was a youngster, I was always interested in your experiments. Each summer when I was here, I... I would sneak into your laboratory. But it was always locked. I know. But I discovered the other way. The one through the wall. The bedroom wall. Huh. Well, you little devil. I was always curious. I still am. I'm curious to see how far you have progressed and to show you my own progress. I shall be delighted to discuss it with you, of course, as doctor to doctor. Good. But I must warn you that my ideas are quite radical. Even more so than yours, Father. Really? Of course. I am my father's daughter. You are referring to uh, animal transplants. Human. Do you ever fantasize about being killed? Do you ever wonder about all the different ways of dying? You know, violently. I wonder, like... What would be the most horrible way to die? Well, hello, Mr. Fancy. following program may contain mature subject matter. Discretion is advised. You know when you're watching a horror film and you get to the end and the killer is dead and everyone assumes the killer is dead? Of course, us horror fans, we know the killer's coming back. Well, guess what? I'm back. And no, I'm not doing the Cam Newton soundbite this time. But yeah, I know. I've been gone a bit, guys. I apologize for that. But we might as well just get right into it. So, from the Next Level Network of Podcasts and Studio Zero, your host is back. Welcome back, everyone, to What Lurks lurks Behind behind Podcast Podcast Zero, Zero. episode 122, focusing on a movie that was directed by the flower shop owner in Little Shop of Horrors, the original with Jack Nicholson, not the musical remake. Yeah, directed by Mel Wells. Uh, 1971 movie known as Lady Frankenstein is the review of the week. Although, this week I'm doing something a little bit different. There will be an extra review. However, I'm doing it like a Marvel movie. It's an extra credit scene. Uh, It'll be at the very end of this episode because I will spoil shit. I do have things to say about the movie. And unfortunately, it's only been out for less than a week. So, 
In order to not spoil anything for people, I decided what I was going to do is this will be like the post credit scene. There will be one review that comes at the end of this movie. Or this movie. This review. This podcast. Yes, I'm a little out of it. Uh, so, another unplanned hiatus. Uh, all started when... Okay, I hate the world we live in. Can we please acknowledge the fact that prior to 2020... There were other things that happened to people sometimes. You know, they were called allergies. Some people got the common cold. Some people just had the sniffles. Sometimes the weather change affected people and stuff. Can we remember this, please? Because it was annoying. For about a two-week period, we had a lot of rain here. And whenever there's too much rain, my allergies flare up. And it affects my voice and causes me to be like really snotty and not you know not the bratty little veruca salt snotty kind but like you know the, the messy kind anyways yeah so every time i would sneeze people were like you're spreading disease no i'm not it's called fucking allergies and it happens from time to time every year every year around april or may i get hit with allergies it happens and then you know it clears up and it's probably going to come back again because you know now the trees are starting to bloom and yeah it affects me I like nature. Nature doesn't like me, okay? It's just the way it goes. But, yeah. So that happened for about two weeks. I really didn't have much of a voice. After that, uh, something I sort of keep to myself. It's a little private battle I deal with. But anyways, I was suffering from exhaustion. So then that happened. And I pretty much would either just, you know, laze around staring at the TV while movies were playing. Or occasionally I would play Cyberpunk 2077. But... Yeah, it just, I couldn't get into the mode, and I was like, I'm not releasing a half-assed episode. I've done that in the past, and I've hated myself for it. So, I put the show on hiatus again, sort of, like I said, unplanned, but it happened, and now the show is back, and we're going to talk about Lady Frankenstein. But before that, um, obviously, I've been away for a while, so I've watched a lot of movies and a lot of shit and we had joe bob returned i went to shock stock that happened um shock stock was cool uh wasn't we only we only went the the one day on the saturday and we weren't there for an extensive amount of time we were there for a while to take it all in and stuff which it was just nice it was nice to be in my element around people who had a passion for horror films such as i did and whatnot and that was awesome it was a lot of fun Unfortunately, for the abundance of VHS tapes that were in that place, because they were everywhere, no one had Demon Wind, and that's the movie I'm looking for on VHS currently. So, so if you know of anyone who has a Demon Wind that they want to part with and not, you know, charge a testicle and a limb, I might be interested. Um. Anyway, so yeah, so that happened. That was uh, April 30th. We went to Shockstock. April 29th, the Joe Bob. You know. Last Drive-In returned to Shudder, and I'll talk about that in a bit, but whatnot. But um, before I get into that, let, let's talk about a certain movie that I was pretty convinced I was going to like. And it finally went digital, and I gave it a shot. And that movie is The Batman. And you're like, fuck, man, here he goes. Superhero movies and a horror show. Bear with me. Um... <laughs> Because, okay, maybe I'm biased. I don't know. Maybe it's because I don't go ecstatic over the same superhero films that everyone else does. <clears throat> More on that later. But 
with the Batman, this was the movie I wanted, and then some. Uh, and oh yeah, okay, the dark and gritty. I love when people always say this movie's dark and gritty. It's like it's their favorite two words they love to throw out there. Anyways, this movie does have that, but it has a lot of other things as well. It has action. It's a little film noir. It's a little over the top for sure. Uh, there's a bit of dark humor that's added, but it also has a horror effect to it. Uh, especially when it comes to the Riddler, obviously the Riddler doing sort of a Zodiac killer kind of thing in this. Uh, the thing is, is Matt Reeves, the director, has yet to fail me. Almost everything he's done over the course of maybe, what, the last eight to ten years, I've loved. On top of that, Robert Pattinson, yes. You heard me on this show say, let's give this guy a chance. I think he's going to be fine. All you got to do is watch The Lighthouse, and you'll see that the man can fucking act. Well, he did exactly what I expected him to do. He kicked ass as the bat. If you've listened to any of my podcast episodes since his casting, you know that I've been praising and defending that casting. Um, I wanted to give the guy a chance. He did fine. Uh, it's, it's a very well-filmed movie, uh, quick-paced. With, I say quick-paced, but then in the second act, it really slows down a bit, and it gives itself a chance to breathe, which... There's never, that's never something that's wrong with a film as long as it doesn't overdo it. And with this film, I felt that, you know, we get to slow down, we breathe a little, but then by the third act, it's like, boom, <laughs> the movie kicks right back in. There's an awesome score by Michael, uh, I, I try to pronounce his last name, Giacchino, I think that's how his last name is pronounced. Uh, there's a lot of hidden eggs and nods and, you know, little throwbacks to Batman movies, cartoons, comic books, everything. Like, Matt Reeves obviously knows the Batman character. He did a lot of that with this movie. Um, I felt like a, a, a kid on Christmas morning watching this movie. Um, the thing is, is I have to say this. Okay, so if you know me personally or you've heard me sometimes talk on this podcast i don't talk about it a lot because i don't like to really always kick people when they're you know kick people down and stuff like that but colin farrell is not necessarily one of my favorite actors as a matter of fact i've never liked him in anything then i saw this movie his penguin is fucking amazing like like okay i love the casting and it's the first movie that I will honestly say Colin Farrell almost stole the show in the limited amount of time that he's in this movie. I think he's great. And as recent as today, a sec- well, okay, so second film was Greenlit. That was a couple weeks ago. But we found out today that it's coming out in the fall of 2024. So we have to wait. It looks like probably about a year and a half. We're going to get a second film. That's great. There's more coming to this universe as well with two TV series going to HBO Max. Personally, I love this Batman movie. Don't be surprised if somewhere down the line I actually do a full review of the movie on this show. But I just kind of wanted to talk about it because I know there's some people out there that are a little butthurt about a certain comment that Selena Kyle makes in the movie. And, you know, and of course, that's what threw them off. They hate the fucking movie. And, you know, and then there's people that keep saying that the Riddler is an incel uh, I don't know why we gotta do this but whatever with the name calling it's like constantly throwing people in label categories and stuff like that humans man I swear to god but yeah I thought the Batman was great I wanted to put my piece out there about it and that's that moving on now to another movie X it was the movie directed by Ty West came out in 2022 it was alright 
I didn't mind the movie. I didn't feel like I wasted my time. There's a couple of good moments. Good, like, there's some good scenes in it. I'm not going to lie. The thing that I don't understand is why people were saying this movie had them in a state of deep thought after it was over. It's okay. It's a good film. It. I, I, I didn't... I didn't walk away from it going, well, that was shit. No, I liked it. I, there was there were things about it I liked. It was an all right film. And the other thing that I don't understand, and you read a lot of IMDb reviews on the movie and whatnot, what is with this thing called elevated horror? And like, I don't know. I, I understand. Genres of films, you know, obviously they happen because we gave them labels and whatnot. But it's like every review that I read about this movie was like, this is a great elevated horror film. What, what do you mean by elevated? Like, do you mean that it's smarter? Because actually it's not. It's just a good movie. Um, the cast is solid in it. I had no problems with the cast whatsoever. No out of place acting or weird choices or anything like that. I get that there's this comparison that people keep making about the movie that it was like, you know, it's the good Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Okay, I understand the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like, aesthetic feel to it and whatnot. And I get, you know, the fact that it takes place, quote-unquote, in Texas, where it actually wasn't filmed. But anyways, um, you know, that's where the story supposedly has it and whatnot. But, I mean, that's about where it ends when it comes to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like, I didn't, I didn't feel like it was you know, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie we should have gotten or something like that. I didn't get that. I don't get, like I said, like, I don't get where people walked away feeling like they were just completely moved. It was like, okay. I don't know. Like, it's a good film. The movie, I don't know. The soundtrack is great. I'm not going to lie. There's great use of music in the film. Like, absolutely really good, good soundtrack. Some cool blood and gore. Not an abundance of it, though. Like, this, it's not... Some movies these days just go a little too gratuitous with it. And this film does not. It's a slow burner, though. Adequate use of its running time. Um, at the end of... After I was done with it, I felt like it could have done a bit more. But I didn't hate the movie, either. Like, there's a lot of things that... When I walked away from it, I was like, alright, it wasn't bad. Like, I... I wouldn't say that I wasted my time. Let's put it that way. And I, if someone said, hey, this movie X, would it be worth checking out? Absolutely. Give it a shot. For me personally, I think it's a one and done. I don't, I don't see myself going back to it because I think it's just all right. But I wouldn't, I would never tell anyone don't watch it or it's a waste of your time or it's a dumpster fire or anything like that. No, it. there's definitely some merit to that film. I just... When it came out and I hadn't seen it yet, I was seeing all these people writing X, blew my mind, this and that. And when I saw it when it was done, I was like, did I miss something? <laughs> like, have I been, like, drinking some bleach or something? Like, I, I don't get it. But that's me. Uh, let's see. Other movies that I kicked off my watch list. All right, so quickly go through three. Uh, two I intentionally watched. I directly went out and checked them out then one not so much <laughs> i probably wouldn't have picked it but it happened uh so first off intruder from 1989 and you're like really you've never seen this i thought i had actually but i hadn't and it's a 
It's a movie where Sam Raimi's acting in it, for once. He's not, I don't think he was the director for it. He's acting in it. Ted Raimi's in it as well. So you got the Raimi brothers, as well as a cameo from Bruce Campbell. Hmm, gee, this is convenient. These guys always seem to be connected at the hip. Uh, but anyways, it was one of those that, when people have talked about it, I'm like, well, I'll get to it when, you know, I'll get to it someday and whatnot. But I thought I had actually seen it before. Nope, I hadn't. But I will say this, the movie made me giggle. You know, the basic premise of the movie is an overnight crew at a grocery store stalked by a maniac. <laughs> okay, I'm all right with it. Really cool kill scene involving a cardboard baler. And because I am from that retail world, yes, I know, I'm a piece of shit. You know, remember when retail workers were essential? <laughs> That's gone. But <laughs> anyways, uh, yeah, there's a really cool scene with a cardboard baler and being that... At where I currently work, we have one of those. I was like, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I checked that one out. And then Eaten Alive from 1976, Toby Hooper film. Never actually had watched this one. And I don't know why, it just never caught my attention. But I knew that Robert Englund was in it. So I was like, you know what? Let's give it a, let's, let's give it a shot. You know, it's on Shutter now. And I was like, well, I don't have to pay for it or anything. And Toby Hooper... I know some people have complained about, you know, his earlier films and whatnot. So it was, again, one of those I'll get to it someday kind of films. Well, I watched it. And young Robert Englund looks like he's in his early 20s, maybe. He's a trashy, you know, misogynistic jerk named Buck. Which, apparently, this is where Quentin Tarantino got his idea for My Name is Buck and I Like to Fuck. Because, apparently, that's what Robert Englund says in this film. And it's like, oh, <laughs> okay, Quentin, yeah. Another homage. Uh, um, anyways, it's a movie about a hotel owner who kills people and he feeds them to his pet crocodile. Alright. I'll say you don't see that very often, so it was kind of cool. Uh, Neville Brand is the hotel owner in the film. Uh, he's definitely channeling the hitchhiker from the original Czech Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He's He's got that going on completely. Uh, not a great movie. Very grindhouse. Uh wasn't a waste of my time i'm probably like i was saying you know about the movie x how it's not a waste of my time either well i think i liked x a bit more than i like this but at least now i can say i've seen this film it's not one i would buy um but it was it was worth it to see a young robert england um you know pre he hadn't even done b yet or nightmare on elm street so it was kind of cool to see that the third film that i will quickly review before getting into Lady Frankenstein, is a movie that is called Anthropophagus. I had no intentions of ever watching this movie. I'd, I'd heard of it. I heard about it through Joe Bob Briggs. It was his first ever review. He's commented about that several times on social media, different interviews, on different shows, everything. It was his first ever film that he reviewed. I wasn't planning on watching it, but now it's happened, and it happened because of The Last Drive-In. It's a slow burn Euro flick with horrendous dumbing, dubbing. <laughs> it's dumbing too, but um, <laughs> uh, the dubbing in this film is just wow. But does it add charm? Like, I guess, kind of. Anyways, there's one real bad what the fuck scene that I don't recommend to the squeamish. I was okay with it, but I've seen some shit in my day. <laughs> I'm thinking like... Because I like to watch films and then think, okay, how would I introduce this to my friends and whatnot? Um, 
this is probably one where I would either like give them the trigger warning right before this scene or I would you know just say don't bother watching this movie um it's not it's I, okay so here's the thing the movie is definitely not for mainstream audiences people who are going to see Doctor Strange would not watch Anthropophagus it's a weird movie I didn't hate it but Again, not one I'll return to often, if ever again, honestly. And probably the only way I would watch it is if I was going to review it on this show, which I probably won't. I tell you right now, it's probably about a 5 out of 10 for me. So there you go. There's the Podcast Zero rating for Anthropophagus. And like I said, the reason this whole film even happened, you know, for me to watch it was because it was on week one of The Last Drive-In, season four. We're at four seasons, guys. They hit 100 movies. The 100th movie was Night of the Living Dead. We've also had Anthropophagus. We've had Black Sunday and Death by Temptation. The highlight for me so far has been Night of the Living Dead because it's just a personal classic and it's a favorite of mine. And You know, I love fucking Night of the Living Dead and I share the same birthday as it (laughs) in terms of its release date. So... I mean, yeah, that was awesome to watch. But, I mean, all four movies have been interesting or entertaining to some degree. Death by Temptation, that's another one I had never seen before up to this point. I think the whole reason why was because it had Kadeem Hardison in it. And to me, he's a comedian from a different world. And I just didn't see him in a horror film. Well, after watching it now, I kind of feel still that same way i don't think that he belongs in horror but that doesn't mean that he's a bad actor it just i don't think that was his element the last review that i have i'm actually saving as a post credit scene an end credit scene i'm gonna do it the marvel way because it is about a certain marvel movie that is out in the theaters i don't want to spoil shit for people because i understand that it just came out so Stay tuned after the main event for my last review of this week, which is coming on the other side of the trailer timeout. And you're like, yes, finally, we're getting to the trailer. It's a longer trailer, by the way. Uh, Back in the day when trailers were like three and four minutes long. This one's not exactly that long, but it's long enough. Um, Anyways, yeah, so we're going to do the the trailer timeout, the timeout of the trailer. And when we return to our shared deadcast experience, we will lurk the halls of a castle. It is a real castle, by the way. That's awesome. And the Baron and his daughter are actually the real monsters in this movie. From 1971, a Mel Wells film known as Lady Frankenstein. Back in a splat, kids. I hope Mr. Morgan's brain is as cooperative. It will be, Charles. What evil science was practiced in this laboratory of nightmares? Who is this irresistible creature who has an insatiable love for the dead? What dread terror stalked the townspeople? Legend of Frankenstein once again brings terror and nightmare to the screen. Stan!
Joseph Cotton as Baron Frankenstein, the scientist who dared to create a monster. Lady Frankenstein. She's beautiful. She's evil. And she'll do anything for love. Think of it. Think of me. Think of possessing me. Would you like to have my body bend to you? Would you like to make love to me? Sarah Bay is Lady Frankenstein. A surgeon's mind and a body filled with bizarre cravings that no human man can satisfy. She creates a new, more terrifying monster. I am my father's daughter. <laughs> you are referring to uh, animal transplants. Human. Only the monster she creates can satisfy her strange desires. No man can escape her web of terror. There has never been a movie like Lady Frankenstein. All right, normally when I come back from the trailer timeout, I've got some stupid little story or a little rant that I add. You guys know how this show goes. I'm not doing that this week because technically I still have two movie reviews left to do. I have this film and I have my end credit scene. So <laughs> um, we're going to jump right into this. I don't want to waste any time. So getting right into it, Lady Frankenstein was originally released in Italy on October 22, 1971. It would debut two years later in North America, almost two years to the day, uh, October 73. I didn't get an actual date for that, but month and year, technically two years later, North America finally sees this film. The film was directed by Mel Wells. Mel was an actor, he was a writer, he was a director. Probably most famously known as the flower shop owner Gravis Mushnik in the original Little Shop of Horrors. That's the one with Jack Nicholson. No, we're not talking the musical with Rick Moranis. I almost lost his name there for a minute. I was like, what the fuck was his name again? Rick Moranis, yes. Uh, we're not talking that one. This was the original, and uh, Mel was the flower shop owner. He was also in Chopping Mall. He had a small role as the cook. He was also in Joyrides Nowhere, Wolfen, uh, Fred Olin Ray's Commando Squad. I believe that was a film with Michelle Bauer as well was in that. Uh, and he was in the movie Invasion Earth. The aliens are here. He had 105 acting credits in total. As a director, though, he didn't do as much work. He only had seven credits. Lady Frankenstein and Joyride to Nowhere being basically his two biggest projects. Now, Lady Frankenstein was also produced by Mel, uh, along with Harry Cushing and Roger Corman. 
Uh, Roger Corman actually is uncredited as producer. There's a reason for that. I'll explain later. But um, Harry Cushing, uh, he produced one other film, The Devil's Lover, in 1972. And that was the end of that. Uh, Roger Corman, well, need I say more? You know the name. You know how much he's done. (laughs) A lot. This film was written by Edward DiLorenzo with vague ties, obviously, to the original Mary Shelley novel of Frankenstein. Uh, DiLorenzo also worked on titles like Space 1999, Silent Rage. Uh, He did a think one or two episodes of Miami Vice and he was a script consultant for the movie The Arrival from 1991 and no I'm not talking the Charlie Sheen one talking the one that starred John Saxon and Joseph Culp and Stuart Gordon we know him from all his great HP Lovecraft projects Uh, Stuart Gordon had a small role in that movie as well now Dick Randall producer for Slaughter High and Pieces has also been linked to this movie Uh, Mel Wells had stated in the past that Dick helped him to assemble some of the cast Um, and on IMDB Randall is also listed in the writing department for coming up with the original story I'm not sure how true that is Um, there is a story to the whole background of this film and whatnot and how they came up with the story but i'll touch up on that in a couple minutes the music for this film is by alessandro alessandrone yes that's that's his name uh he worked on films like zorro the invincible the devil's nightmare blood and bullets and he was uncredited for certain pieces of music in the um Ah, Clint Eastwood films. A Fistful of Dollars. Dollars? A Fistful of Dollars and The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Apparently he was also listed as a score whistler, whatever that is, for the Lego movie. Uh, Alessandro passed away in 2017 at the age of 92. And now we're going to move on to our starring cast. And... Pretty much, it's it's a smaller cast, so there's not a lot to get through. Um, some cool trivia that comes along with this stuff. But anyways, let's start with Our Lady Frankenstein, Rosalba Neri, who go uh, in some films. Okay, this movie has like a lot of different cuts uh, based on edits and whatnot. I've seen. This movie has been as short as like 71 minutes and I've seen it as long as 100 minutes long. So, and there's different variations all over everywhere because this movie's in the public domain. Everyone always released it. Echo Bridge and Mill Creek and whatnot. And they all had their releases of it. And it always varied in time length. So, anyways, in some of those cuts, she also went by the name of Sarah Bay. Now, the, the cut that I'm reviewing for this week's episode is the full 100-minute movie. Like, it's the full uncut film. So, she goes by Rosalba. Rosalba. God damn it, I hate that I can never pronounce names. Rosalba Neri. But in the other versions, she's also gone by the name of Sarah Bay. I know all that just to get to the point of she also is known as Sarah Bay. I should have just fucking went with that. But anyways, she is Tania 
Frankenstein. She is Our Lady Frankenstein. However, her voice that you hear in this movie, especially if you, well, obviously, if you're watching the English version, is not her own. Uh, her voice dubbing uh, was done by a woman by the name of Linda Gary. Uh, but Rosalba was also in movies like The Castle of Fu Manchu and The Devil's Lover from 1972. Moving on to our Baron Frankenstein, played by Joseph Cotton. And Joseph Cotton, a uh, big actor, big American name, brought into this film to help boost the the reputation of the film and whatnot. Because he's been in films like Citizen Kane, uh, The Third Man, Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte. I can never say that three times fast, that's for sure. Uh, the Abominable Dr. Fives, The Screaming Woman, Soylent Green, and A Whisper in the Dark. But in this film, he is Baron Frankenstein, and he does a pretty good job with it. I'll talk more about that in a bit. Paul Muller as Dr. Charles Marshall was also in Nightmare Castle from 1965, Count Dracula in 1970, and a lot of Italian films. Um... So the, the, this next actor's name is Ricardo Pizzuti, but in this film he went by the name of Peter Whiteman. He's basically our creature. He's our Frankenstein's monster. Um, and there's not a whole... He was a tall man. I think he, he said he was like something like just under seven feet tall and whatnot. He's basically a stuntman. Uh, he did some work, obviously, but he was basically... he was. He was never a lead actor or anything like that. He did like a lot of stunt work and whatnot. And then moving on to Herbert Fuchs. Fuchs? I like it. His name is spelled F-U-X. So obviously you get some idiots who'll be like, his name is Herbert Fox. It's not Fox. It's Fuchs. But anyways, um, he plays Tom Lynch. He's our grave robber in this movie. The voice you hear when Tom is speaking, though, is actually the director's voice, Mel Wells. Mel did uh, Herbert's voice. Uh, Herbert was an Austrian actor who'd been in over 250 films and shows, which did include a role in the 1993 film The Three Musketeers. Uh, sadly, Herbert passed away in 2007. He was at the age of 79 when he passed away. Moving on to Mickey Hargitay as Captain Harris. Mickey apparently was known to be... Um, Linked to Jane Man Mansfield, Mansfield. I can never pronounce it. I'm the fucking worst. Seriously, I should not be a podcaster. I cannot pronounce names for the life of me. I mean, whoa, there's what was I looking up the other day? And I had to actually, I did that. Like, you can go on Google and like put in a word and then say like how it's pronounced. I think it was Alessandro Alessandrone because I didn't know how to pronounce his last name. I was like, is it basically the same as his first name? And I'm that bad. Like, seriously, I cannot pronounce names for the life of me. I'm a fucking horrible person and I should be shot and killed. No, um, <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, anyways, Mickey Hargitay, um, he plays Captain Harris in this. His spoken parts were dubbed in by a voice actor by the name of Mark Smith. But Mickey had a small acting career. He wasn't in a lot of... I think he had 20 credits total. Uh, one of his films, though, that uh, was on his uh, acting resume was Bloody Pit of Horror from 1965. Mickey passed away in 2006 at the age of 80. Unfortunately, sometimes when you do these older films, a lot of these actors and directors and whatnot, they have passed away because these are older films. This was a film from 1971, so it's been around a while. Um... 
Moving on to Marino Masse as Thomas Stack. He's actually uncredited in this film. They didn't credit him, but Thomas is sort of a big part of this film, so I felt I had to uh, mention him. He also acted in Luigi Cosi's 1980 film Contamination, and he was in the 1982 Giallo classic Tenebrae. I uh, also had a small role in uh, the 1990 film The Godfather 3. He was in that as well. And finally, for our last actress, I will mention uh, Renata Cache as... Uh, well, she went by Renata Cash, but I believe her last name was actually Cache. Uh, she plays Julia Stack. She's Thomas's sister. Uh, she was in the... Um, the horror sex flea, uh, sex sleaze flick uh, Frankenstein 80 that came out in 1972, which is like supposed to be a horror film, but it's like almost like borderlines on pornography at the same time. And she was in the film She Devils of the SS in 1973. The runtime for this film, as I said, it varies anywhere as short as 71 minutes long. The cut I'm doing was an hour and 39 minutes, the full uncut film. The film is rated R for sex and nudity, nudity, violence and gore, and frightening and or intense scenes. The gross for this film was just under 9.25 million U.S. The budget, however, and this is to a budget, keep this in mind. So it made 9.25, but its budget was just under 200,000. So uh, that's not bad. It made some money. Uh, all things considered, even though some people like to heckle the shit out of this film, Elvira included. Um, the synopsis for this film is as follows. Hopefully I don't stumble on my words because I seem to be doing that a lot again today. I swear to God, some days I want to like cut my tongue off and like just punish it. But no, that sounded stupid. Okay, the synopsis. The Frankenstein family is at it again when the famous doctor's daughter creates a handsome hunk to fulfill her strange and lusty desires. Joseph Cotton plays Dr. Frankenstein in the curious romp through the Transylvanian countryside. The sorry doctor's earlier creation, a maladjusted and grotesque brain transplant recipient, terrorizes hordes of villagers and tries to interfere with Lady Frankenstein's fulfillment of her ultimate pleasure. Directed by the flower store owner in Little Shop of Horrors, this New World Pictures spectacle is a sinfully silly scream. I got that off the back of some VHS and I don't know. It basically sums it up. Yeah, so the film starts off like, you know, a normal Frankenstein film. You know, the Baron has gotten this dead body from a grave robber, and he wants to reanimate it. He's got his assistant, who's not Igor in this movie. It's Charles, but, you know, same idea, whatnot. The, where the movie starts to change is once the daughter is brought in. Daughter comes home. She was at some medical school where she, you know, she even makes some comment about, you know, like, keep in mind, this is, uh, you know, late 60s, early 70s. You know, women still were considered the inferior race and whatnot by most men. Not all men, though. I mean, obviously. But, you know, Mel himself said, like, you know, when he when he did this this movie, he he. 
in more recent times, he'd say he put a feminist twist on it, but I think he actually just wanted her to not be like just whining and crying the whole movie. He made her a stronger character. He made her bold. He made her sexy. He made her, you know, commanding and whatnot. And he does a great job with that. But yeah, so she comes into play and, you know, she basically, she knows about her father's experiment. She admits to that and says, I want to, I want to join you. I want to be a part of this. And unfortunately, the Baron is killed. So now she is, you know, going to take over his projects and she's got some wild ideas that involve, you know, sex and betrayal and she's conniving. She'll do whatever it fucking takes. So for this segment of the show, I said, basically, I'm going to call this, you know, I, I, I always try to like give it like some like funny title or whatever. And I basically stole a quote right out of the movie. Uh, this segment is called, how can someone so beautiful be such a bitch? I'm not going to lie. It's almost arousing how much of a bitch she is in this movie. Cause I'm like, damn, She's not going to be stopped. But anyways, I do want to get this bit of trivia out of the way now because in case you couldn't place it, when I played the trailer, there is a certain sample, a certain line. Yes, it does come from Rob Zombie's Living Dead Girl. It's the line, who is this irresistible creature who has an insatiable love for the dead? And every time I watch that trailer and I hear that line, Right after I go, living dead girl. Because, yes, that's it was sampled. It's well known from that song. <laughs> and that's where this is where it came from the trailer for this movie. So, as the story goes, let's talk about how this movie came to be. Mel was approached to make a movie. Harry Cushing comes up to him, drops the script in his lap, and says, Hey, I got this movie called Lady Dracula, and he wants Mel to make it into a movie. Harry also wants Rosalba and Neri to have the main role, more or less because he's trying to get down and dirty with her. He's totally infatuated with her. He's trying to date her. He wants to impress her. So he's like, hey, baby, come be in my movie. And it's funny because in interviews and whatnot, Wells is, Mel has even, you know, he stated that she couldn't stand Harry. And she actually turned him down several times. He kept trying to be like, hey, why don't you know you hang out and let's get down and do some dirty and stuff like that. And she was like, nope, I'll have none of it. Then on top of that, to make matters even worse, the script that Harry, like, you know, wanted made, Lady Dracula, well, he didn't even own the rights to it. Apparently, actor and stuntman Bradford Harris owned the rights to it. This wasn't even Harry's film. So... On top of the fact that there would be contract and legal shit to get through, they basically had no script, but yet you want to put Rosalba in this movie, you want to, you know, try and press her, make her an actress and whatnot, but you've got nothing. So Mel and his friend Ed DiLorenzo, they get together, and in three weeks' time, they wrote the script for Lady Frankenstein, because they couldn't do Lady Dracula, so they went with Lady Frankenstein, and, you know... Like I said, Mel wanted to make sure that the that the story of Tanya should be attractive, she you know be a stunner on the eyes and whatnot. But he wanted to make her smart. He wanted to make her cunning, calculated, and determined. In more current eras, we call this feminist. Uh, but honestly, Mel just made a very convincing and compelling character, regardless of what the agenda or theme might have been behind the inspiration for her. She's a good character. And she she stands out. She better because the title of the movie is Lady Frankenstein. She's your lead. If she's not strong enough, this movie doesn't work. On a financial note, 
$90,000 of the film's budget was given through what they call a letter of credit, but the Italian banks denied the letter. They wouldn't actually honor it. So, in order to fund the film's budget, Roger Corman's studio, New World Pictures, picked up the film for U.S. distribution, and that's how Roger Corman ended up becoming one of the producers for this film. Now, he's uncredited, but at the same time, New World Pictures is the name you see at the beginning of the film, so in essence, he's getting his credit. If you're wondering, yes, okay, in essence, Lady Dracula still sort of happened, just in a completely different manner. Uh, also, in 1971, the film Countess Dracula, uh, based somewhat on the story of Elizabeth Bathory, was released through Hammer Pictures and starred the gothic starlet Ingrid Pitt as the title character. So, even though... Lady Dracula doesn't actually happen. It kind of did, just through Hammer, and it was based on Elizabeth Bathory, and it's called Countess Dracula. In regards to this film, though, this is basically Rosalba Neri's film. Yes, Joseph Cotton might be the star American name that was brought in. You know, he's, he's the one that's going to attract the audiences, but honestly, she steals the show. With obviously obviously some help from Linda Gray's voice dubbing. But this is all Rosalba. Um, as Lady Tanya or Tanya. They say Tanya a lot. Uh, but whatever. Tanya, Tanya. Uh, as Lady Frankenstein. She shines on the screen. She's gorgeous yet evil. And she plays the Baron's daughter to an almost perfect portrayal. Um, and I will say, in keeping with the whole drive-in way of, you know, blood, beasts, and breasts, this movie holds up to the letter on all three, including a few nude scenes by Rosalba herself. Um, she is not afraid to take her clothes off. There's uh, at least, what, two or three scenes where we get to see uh, her uh, basically take it all off. And I was like, oh. All right, you don't you don't see that as often. A lot of films these days, the lead actress is not the one getting naked, and in this film, they were like, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, she will too." Uh, but that's not what makes this movie. Honestly, uh, great makeup effects for starters for the monster played by Peter Whiteman. Um, that's how he was credited in this film, so it's the name I'll go with. But his makeup effects are actually pretty cool. I like the way the, the monster looks. Joseph Cotton does do a great job as Baron Frankenstein. I don't want to take that away. Uh, as for Mickey Hargitay, uh, he's somewhat of a bore as Captain Harris. Like He's supposed to be like some detective, you know, but he really doesn't seem like he even has a grasp on what's going on. He just keeps saying, like, I have one more question. And then at one point, like, he even accuses, like, the Baron and Lady Frankenstein or Tanya or whatever, and Charles, it's things he knows they did, but, like, he has no evidence whatsoever. He's just throwing it out there, and it's like, uh, are you literally in this film just to keep the audience up to date on where we are in the story? Like, because how do you even know this? I saw one comment online actually that said he was like a bad version of Columbo. <laughs> I might have to concur with that sentiment um, just because it's like he doesn't do hardly any detective work at all. But boom, he knows it. It's like, what are you, Batman? No, you're not. Shut up. Sit down. Uh, <laughs> Tom Lynch, played by uh, Herbert Fuchs. And voiced by Mel Wells. I do like the fact that like our director was not afraid to go into voice acting. That's kind of cool. Um, but he's very devious and has a very... Um, it's almost an unsettling vibe to his character. Uh, even in interviews, Rosalba did say that... You know, when she'd be around him at first, she didn't 
really know how to take him. She didn't know if she could trust him and whatnot. She said she felt very um, uneasy around him at first, but you know, that obviously that alleviated with time. Um, and Mel himself, the director even said that Herbert just had that look about him, you know, in quotes, that look about him that made him the perfect casting for the grave robber role. But honestly, this film works because it all comes around to the execution of our lady Frankenstein. Rosalba Neri is just, she's wonderfully plotting and convincing um, her orchestration of schemes and deliverance, like everything. She's just got like a, a very sexy approach to it, but at the same time, it's like you just see the, I mean, obviously the characters in the film don't see it, but we as the audience, we see the the evil, the the vindictiveness that she has behind her motives almost to a point where she, you almost get this feeling like she really doesn't see that what she's doing is wrong. She wants to further her father's work. She wants to prove that she can do it. Um, and she does come through with her insatiable love for the dead as the trailer states. Um, she even comments in the film herself. She is her father's daughter and she takes it one step further. There's, I like the one thing, um, and this has been pointed out in a few reviews that I read as well, and I have to agree with it. She doesn't go on this whole bit about, like, playing God. You know, like, the original Frankenstein, it was like, you know, uh, Dr. Frankenstein had to go on about, how I now I know how it feels to be a God. And even Joseph Cotton's version of The Baron, in this movie, he has to, man is God. She has nothing to do with that. She's like, fuck off with that shit. I'm not here for this. I'm here to make the perfect man. Um, <laughs> and that's basically what she's trying to do. Uh, the Frankenstein monster in this film, unlike Boris Karloff. Now, he's not the show. He's not the star of the show. Uh, like I said, this totally falls on Rosalba. Even though the Frankenstein monster is present in this film he's kind of just like walking around doing his shit i love the look of the monster it's it's a different look he has like one eye like protruding from its socket and the other one's basically shut closed more or less the eyes there but it's kind of like you know covered over and shit he's got like stitching on his face he's got like this big bulbous forehead um in the documentary, The Truth About Lady Frankenstein, uh, so apparently when he was in full costume with the boots and he had like the enlarged forehead and whatnot, on top of the fact that the actor was already close to seven feet tall, I guess after he was all done up and everything, he was almost close to like nine feet tall. So they actually made him look like he was this bulking creature. I mean, Boris Karloff was not a short man, so his Frankenstein looked just as bulking and whatnot, but... When you think about it, this dude, after everything was done, all the makeup and the, the boots and the costume and everything, he was just under nine feet tall. That's a fucking tall man. <laughs> Shit. Call him the tall man. Uh, I love that he causes havoc. He has a knack for interrupting couples that are getting their jiggy on. <laughs> I mean, like, and, and the one couple, seriously, it's out in the middle of the fucking wilderness by a, like a river or a stream or something. And it's hilarious because he literally walks up. He interrupts them. The guy takes off, typical, uh, he fucking runs away. And Fra the Frankenstein monster literally picks the girl up and just like tosses her in the river like Dexter tossing, tossing a victim into the ocean. It's just fucking hilarious. Like, just the way he just picks her up and is like, bye. <laughs> Apparently she's dead. Uh, 
And that's the thing with this movie. Like, while it's a horror film, it has a lot of humor to it, most likely unintentionally. But there is some humor to this film. And it's, it's got some dark humor as well. And you also have, okay, so think about this for a minute. This is, it's sadistic. And at the same time, it's almost kind of funny because you have the whole plot to the film where Tanya wants to kill both Thomas the, you know, the Baron's handyman and Charles, basically the Igor of this film. He's Dr. Frankenstein's assistant who's in love with Tanya, I might add. But he wants she wants to kill them both and take the brain of Charles and put it into the strapping body of Thomas to make herself the perfect man. Because Thomas, you have to remember, he's like sort of like he's mentally challenged. Like and they show that like, you know, he has a hard time talking. Um, he, he speaks in very short sentences, if sentences at all, sometimes it's utter phrases and that's it. Um, so she wants to take the brain of Charles and put it in this gorgeous hunk of a man, Thomas and make herself the perfect man, which, so going back through, you know, the, the history of the Frankenstein lore and whatnot and Bride of Frankenstein, the doctor tries to make his creation, the perfect female mate. In this film, the roles reverse somewhat in that the daughter of Frankenstein wants to make herself the perfect male counterpart. It's kind of interesting how we did this, but does the story work? I think it does. Honestly, it, okay. I mean, the movie, no, it's not going to change the world or anything like that. This is not one of those movies like X supposedly was where, you know, you walk away from it and go, oh, I have so much to unpack and think about this movie. No, but it puts a nice spin on a story that at this point in history in 1971 had already become quite a common tale in gothic horror. And something else I might add, because I mentioned about the gothic horror, let's not ignore the fact that many of the interior shots were filmed in an actual castle. Um, some of the exterior shots as well were filmed, you know, in and around the castle as well. The laboratory itself, where they do all the experiments and stuff, was filmed in a studio. But many of those lush gothic rooms were exactly as they were in, in, in this castle, which I'm going to try and pronounce this right. Pardon me if it comes out wrong. But the castle's name was Castello Piccolomini. And it's found in Solano, Italy. It was built in 1451, and it's now used as, like, an office for the Ministry of Cultural Heritage and Activities, as well as they have, like, a museum for sacred arts there and whatnot. But back in 1970 and 71, when they were filming this, they got to actually use this real castle for the set scenes. And it, it just... it It fucking looks gorgeous. It is so amazing in this film. Like, just the set pieces. Like... Honestly, I was watching this film. This is probably the sixth or seventh time I've seen this film, uh, especially within the last couple of years. But uh, just I watch this film every time and I'm like, man, I would love to actually see this in real life. I don't know if the, the rooms still look the same. I would hope they do. But who knows? It's a gorgeous looking set piece, though. The score for the film is quite memorable. I will say that, especially for certain cues that pop up prominently in the film. You probably heard a bit of the score when I started this review and whatnot. I will say it's not the most memorable score, but if you know the film, if you've seen this film, you will recognize the score every time you hear it after that. The thing is, is it's not like Halloween or Psycho where the musical cues were recognized even by people who never saw the films. People hear the Halloween theme. They don't technically have to have seen Halloween to know that theme. They know it. Uh, this film, not so much. 
As for the overall reception of this film, fans of gothic horror and the Hammer films, good majority have a respect or liking to this film. Uh, Drive-In Mutants will tell you, yeah, it has all the markings of a drive-in hit. It's got blood, it's got beasts, it's got boobs. Uh, it's exactly what you know. drive-in theater fans would love. A lot of viewers also call this as one of those so-bad-it's-good films, and some will just say it's bad. It, it, the reception more or less varies all over the place. I think it comes down to expectation versus what we actually get. You got to go in with the right mindset. And I think also, especially in 1971, when people heard that Joseph Cotton was in this coming back, you know, coming to this film from a back catalog that includes films like Citizen Kane. I think some people expected this to have a bit of, it'd be that film of a higher brow. Well, surprise, surprise. It's not, it's got some sleaze to it. <laughs> and it's got some, you know, blood and gore. I mean, it's the thing is, is just because it's a sleazy flick doesn't mean it's not entertaining. And I will also add, I mentioned the blood and gore. It has some cool surgery scenes too. Uh, just saying, like there's some, there's some cool scalp, uh, scalping and whatnot. It, it, the gore is not all. It's not in abundance. I will say that, but there is some cool scenes. Um. In terms of reviews and whatnot, so Nigel Honeybone of HorrorNews.net, he had a favorable review for the movie, uh, basically stating that Lady Frankenstein hangs together remarkably well, especially considering it probably had not never had a finished script. Which I will say, the way this movie ends, it end, and god damn, it's abrupt. Like, <laughs> literally, spoilers! So, Lady Frankenstein, her castle's being burned down by the villagers and whatnot, she doesn't care. She's now made her perfect man. She's having sex with him. And then out of the blue, he just strangles her to death. And boom, movie's done. That's it. it <laughs> that's it. it. It's literally that quick. He strangles her, movie ends. I mean, we don't even actually see if she truly dies. I mean, she basically goes still, so you assume she's dead. But movie's done. That's it. And there was no credits. There was no... It literally ends. Um... It might make sense that the film didn't have a finished script. I think uh, partially they probably didn't know what to do with her after everything had happened. Or maybe it's just one of those things where it's like, story's done, we're done, let's move on. Um, so, who knows? Uh, in 1973, Robert Jerome, writer, uh, he, he uh, wrote a small blurb about the movie in the winter edition of the magazine Cinefantastique in which he joked that the villagers who stormed the castle at the end could be like the censors in disguise. Because like I said, this movie was cut apart several times. Or they could have been disgruntled onlookers who had had enough of a bad thing because he really didn't like this movie. A thing to note, though, Robert also reviewed the Hammer film Twins of Evil in that same issue on that same page, I might add. Gave it a lot more favorable uh, review than he did this film. And another uh, review that was on that page, 1972's Tales from the Crypt movie, the one with Joan Collins that I talked about back at Christmas time. So, yeah, I found the magazine online, actually, uh full PDF file and whatnot. So I checked it out and whatnot. And I was reading his review about this movie. He doesn't talk a lot about it. More or less just, you know, talks about what the movie's about. And then he joked about the villagers basically, you know, storming the castle saying, well, it was either disgruntled onlookers or it was censors. It was one or the other. The movie on Rotten Tomatoes 
has no critic score. It's no critic score, which is weird because there's tons of critic reviews everywhere, but it doesn't have a score for that. Uh, the audience score, though, is at a surprising 20%, which is really weird because a lot of fan reviews I read were quite favorable. So I was surprised that it was only at 20%, but that's Rotten Tomatoes. And even though I, I hate the site, they are good for just throwing some numbers out there. IMDb has the movie standing at an even 5 out of 10, with 5 and 6 being the two most common ratings. Podcast Zero Rating. This is Rosalba's film. This is her movie. Period. Done. End of story. Yes, you have some great male talent in this film, but she fucking owns it. She is the reason you watch this movie. Not even for the creature. You watch it for her. She is just awesome. That said, how does this movie actually rate? Well, for a film that's somewhat clinging to the coattails of the powerhouse of Hammer Productions, you know, not itself being a Hammer film, but attempting to maybe look like one, I think it holds up okay. Here's the thing about this film. When I I originally saw it for the first time, shit, I know I was out of high school. I was probably in my early 20s when I saw it. And, I, you know, it was on one of those collected horror things where it's like 20 films for 10 bucks or whatever and it was on there i saw one of the more censored versions of this and whatnot i remember seeing it for the first time going like i thought it was a hammer film for years i called it a hammer film until you know i kind of got more um educated on the film and i learned you know more about what was what and who was who and stuff like that there's too many versions out there i will say that unless you're watching the uncut full version i just feel like you're never getting enough like you're not getting everything you should be um and i also have a few of those shorter cuts like currently at this moment the film is in the public domain so odds are like if you bought some horror collection dvds back in the day whether it be from mill creek echo bridge whatever you probably own this movie too. Um, it wasn't until I got the full director's vision on a Region B Blu-ray at that that I actually gained more of an appreciation for this film. So, sort of like when Joe Bob did Anthro, what it was, Anthropophagus. When he did that film, he saw an edited version the first time he ever reviewed it, so he didn't like the movie that much. Then when he saw the uncut version, he had more of an appreciation for it. I'm sort of the same. I'm on that same page with this. First time I saw this, didn't care for it that much. See the director's full vision, and I'm like, oh, not bad. I'll be honest, though. Some of this movie does slow down a bit. I'm okay with that because there's nothing wrong with a movie that's not afraid to breathe a little as long as it doesn't take a nap somewhere in that breathing period. And this movie's okay for that. The captain, Captain Harris, the detective, whatever, he's not horrible, but... Not very memorable, other than he just seems to be there to be an annoyance and maybe keep the audience up to date with what's going point for point. Because your father, I know he took, he bought from a grave robber and he made this monster, and this monster is what killing people. Okay, so we get that. Yeah. Anyways, past him, I love the aesthetic, I love the mood. Uh, for the most part, the pacing is actually great, but I love Rosalbo Neri. She's bold, she's beautiful. Yes. Teenage me had the fucking massive crush on her and adult me still says, yeah, I'll watch this movie because of her. The thing is, is I'm in the minority here. This movie averages about a five, 
five and a half out of ten and whatnot. For me, the movie, after now seeing, you know, the director's cut, I've seen the full vision and whatnot. This is eight bolts of electricity out of ten for me. Um, now, without Resolva, this movie doesn't stand a chance of being anything more than a five or a six. Uh, but her performance, her elegance, her charm, she fucking sells it. She kills it. She owns it. This movie is hers. Uh, and I, I can't state it any more than that. I think she is absolutely phenomenal in this film. While maybe not everything about this film is perfect nowadays, no movie is perfect, but she sells it. And for me, it's an eight out of 10 on that note. Yes, I know there's still another review to come, but on that note, I thank you for listening because some of you probably will stop this episode after I'm done this point. So I say, thank you for listening. I say, you know, the usual on social media, you can find it on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, you know, Obviously, you can download it on most of the major podcast app, you know, streaming apps and whatnot, Spotify, Apple, Google, FM Player, and all those. It it It's made its rounds. It's on Podbean and all that. So you know where you can find the show. Uh, I did get a notification, uh, like an email from Facebook the other day saying that as of June 1st, they will no longer allow me to post my podcast online interesting i don't know if it was spam or not i was like "Hmm, that's interesting okay whatever so we'll see maybe you won't be able to find me on facebook after you know june 1st who knows i'll disappear into the ether so i'm actually gonna say it for once as a joke but you know how i always make fun of like you know influencers online that are like make sure to like and subscribe yeah you might actually want to do that in case facebook like you know poof throws me out into the you know the universe the deep space or whatever i will announce next episode before i jump into the final review so next episode from the movie or from the movie from the year 2002 the movie starring naomi watts brian cox is a film directed by gore verbinski so you're gonna love how i did this It was between two. I was either going to go the American remake or the original Japanese movie. So I flipped a coin. (laughs) That's honestly how I picked this week's or the next episode. Um, In the well, no one will see the ring. Yes, that's a tagline, actually. I don't know. It's kind of weird. I guess, obviously, because Samara comes out of the well and whatnot. But yeah, Uh, next episode, 123, will be the ring i'm gonna go the american route because i like i said i flipped a coin okay so bonus content yes this is your warning number one you're not gonna like what i have to say number two i'm spoiling shit because there's no way to put my thoughts out there without spoiling so you have been warned at this point If you have not seen this movie, if you have not seen Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, and you do not want to be spoiled, stop now. I'm I'm making this very easy for you. You could have easily stopped by now. Because after, after I start getting into this, I'm not stopping. 
All right, you've been warned. There are spoilers. There is shit I'm going to say about this. If you do not want to be spoiled, stop now. Okay. So I'm going to make this quick and painful for you. (laughs) All right. A little... Actually, no, hold on a second. Before I get into this, I'm going to say this. So on my personal social media... uh, page my my personal facebook and whatnot i had written this thing a couple weeks ago about how i thought marvel should stick with the tv series this was right after moon knight finished or no it was the fifth episode of moon knight uh, not the sixth um i thought it it was fucking amazing it was such a great episode it was that whole series the moon knight series was great i hope we see more of that character i've come to realize i really do actually like marvel television i like their shows i like wandavision and loki and hawkeye and now moon knight and even falcon and the winter soldier it wasn't horrible i mean it was wasn't great either but i mean i enjoyed it i i did watch it and i was like all right it was a good story the movies however i feel have you know, just become this repetitive three act thing where it's like, you know, we start off the movie, the hero is great. And then they have their falling out and then they redeem themselves at the end and blah, 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 which, yeah, you could say, you know, they do that with the TV shows as well, but they stretch it out over certain episodes and whatnot. And there's a lot of nuances that come from those series that you can just flesh things out better. So I did say, and I had written on there, I was like, they should stick with the TV, stop with the movies. But I'm excited about the new Doctor Strange film. Well, this is one of those areas where I should have reduced my expectations because I did not like this movie as much as the rest of the masses seem to. And I mean, I've seen a lot of people, I've seen a lot of people that I wouldn't normally see them say, love this movie, very entertaining. Okay, I guess you didn't watch WandaVision. Because here's the thing. So this movie comes out and... We already did this whole character arc with Wanda. and We built up her character in WandaVision. We had her, you know, she sort of was evil in a way because she had taken hostage of Westview and whatnot, made them live out her fantasies and whatnot. And then, you know, as the series went on, Vision helped her to realize, you know, you need to learn to accept your grief. You need to accept loss, how to move on with it and this and that. The way the, 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 the show ended, the way that final episode ended, we thought, okay, Scarlet Witch is now on to moving to better things. We're going to redeem this character. She's going to be the hero that we want her to be. Then we get this movie. This movie that does acknowledge that WandaVision happened because they talk about Westview very briefly, but they've acknowledged she should be good and they make her the villain anyway, which had been rumored online and all this stuff. There was people that were speculating months ago that she was going to be the villain. And I kept saying, I didn't want her to be the villain because I felt it would destroy all that she had moved herself up to to this point. Well, anyways, yeah, so we made her the fucking villain. A villain who keeps saying she doesn't want to hurt anyone as she's killing people and possessing the bodies of others so that she can, you know, so... That she can go into the multiverse and be the mother to another Wanda's kids without even realizing that. Okay, so what are you going to do with the other Wanda? Are you going to kill her? Because now you're a killer, but you want you you're one you want to be a mother. Like, for fuck's sake, what happened? Like, you we were doing so well with this character, 
And then they completely stripped that away from her to make her a fucking villain. What? You couldn't find another Doctor Strange villain to put in this movie? Like, and on top of that, like, this is supposed to be our introduction to the multiverse, and we get a 30-second glimpse of some girl dragging Doctor Strange through the multiverse where at one point we even get to see an animated Doctor Strange, but we don't get to go to that world. I guess there's apparently 40 minutes missing from this movie that was cut. I don't see how that would even fucking help it, but whatever. Because you've already destroyed the character of Wanda. You're not doing much to boost up the character of Doctor Strange, but we got some stupid kid. Uh, Okay, I'm supposed to care about this kid? No. Um, Oh, and the big pull. Yes, Sam Raimi is the director. Danny Elfman doing the music. First off, Danny Elfman's music. I love Danny Elfman. I don't want to sound like I'm insulting him or anything. But this movie's so distracting, I forgot to pay attention to the music. Because there's just like, everything was wrong with this movie. I'm like, what the fuck? And on top of that, Sam Raimi, he's not actually my problem with this movie. He does a good job directing. The It's the writing that's the problem with this fucking movie. By Michael Waldron. Who, I might add was the creator behind Loki, who should have a grasp on the multiverse because in Loki, they talk about the multiverse. So he should know what he's doing, but he gives us this garbage? Like, what the fuck? This is another case where it's like you have a TV writer that should not be doing film. Uh, Greg Berlani and Mark Guggenheim, great guys in TV. They, They created a whole fucking Arrowverse of, shows and just tied everything together and they did their crossovers and everything they really worked well but they're also the reason that the green lantern film sucked i mean okay i guess berlani's original idea you know was okay but then there were rewrites and mark guggenheim came in and this and that and all this other bullshit the movie sucked um what was it Uh, double dragon the movie i recently watched that too uh anyways the writer for that paul dini We're talking Paul Dini, the guy who made Batman the animated series. Like, he made it what it was. It was amazing. It was fucking awesome. But then he does a movie, and we get the trash that Double Dragon is. Granted, I have a soft spot for Double Dragon. But (laughs) that being said, TV writers should not be writing for film. Michael Waldron should have never touched this film. And not to mention Sam Raimi. Okay, so... He's not directing Evil Dead Rise, but he still made the movie anyways. He just gave it the the title of Doctor Strange, essentially. Which, okay, the horror fan of me doesn't have a problem with this very much. Visually, this movie is fun and exciting at times, and it's probably why I boost my rating a little bit higher than I would have normally, because it does have that horror element that I'm like, all right, yeah, I'm okay with this. But here's my thing. Why get Lee Cronin to do Evil Dead Rise if you're essentially going to make an Evil Dead-ish movie anyway? Why not just make Evil Dead Rise? Obviously, Disney paid Sam some big money because if not, why didn't he just direct his fucking Evil Dead movie in the first place? And, oh, hey, we have a Bruce Campbell cameo in this movie. Called that back when Sam was first announced as the director for Doctor Strange because Bruce basically to Sam Raimi is what Stan Lee was to Marvel films. It's obvious. You do a Sam Raimi film, Bruce Campbell's going to have a cameo somewhere. We saw it with the Spider-Man movies. We've seen it with so many fucking movies. Sam loves putting Bruce in shit, which is fine. I don't have a problem with it, but it was a wasted moment as well because what he was some pizza vendor on a street yeehaw big fucking deal (laughs) i would have rather seen bruce be like you know 
an alternate version of Ash Williams or something. Oh, and let's get on to the cameo. So, yeah. Here's a big spoiler for you kids. Patrick Stewart is Charles Xavier. Wasted. Oh, hey, guess what? We got Reed Richards from Fantastic Four. Wasted. Haley Atwell comes back. You know, Agent Carter, she comes back as Captain Carter. We saw this in the What If series. Uh, wasted. What was the fucking point? Honestly, they you're teasing fans of things to come and you're giving them a nod to what if and all this other shit. Yeah, well, the Fantastic Four just lost its director anyway, so don't hold your breath for that one too much. Might be a while. Uh, <laughs> the thing is, is you bring in Charles Xavier, probably the most powerful, if not the second most powerful X-Men there is, and you had Wanda rip him apart in seconds. And I'm not saying that that... Scarlet Witch is one of the most powerful characters, so I, I don't have a problem with her tearing people apart. But that's another thing, too, I'm going to highlight in just a second. But, I mean, we bring in these cameos, what, so everyone can go, yay, there's my character. Oh, you killed them in 30 seconds. Big fucking deal. And spoilers, big spoiler here. So we have this Darkhold book, a.k.a. the Marvel version of the Necronomicon Book of the Dead. Oh, yeah, where have we seen this story before? Let me put this out to you, okay? So an evil female character wants the book so that she can have her way with it and get the world that she wants. The good guy male has to keep it out of her reach, and she finally gets it and almost wins, but the good guy stops her just in time. Hmm. <clears throat> Ash versus <clears throat> Evil Dead. Anyone just saying? Um, but yeah, it, it, here, here's another kicker. So in this runabout of that story, uh, we have this kid. Yeah, I mentioned the kid a couple times. America, someone or another, Chavez, Chalas, I don't know. Who has no clue to how to use her powers. The whole movie, she's like, I don't know how my, I, I, don't, I, I use my powers when I'm scared. I, I don't know how to use my powers. I don't know what I'm doing. But at the end of the movie, with one punch, what is she, the fucking one punch man? She takes Scarlet fucking Witch out. I mean, come on. You're kidding me at this point, right? And then after that, they show her in training, like at the, you know, Doctor Strange, like that fuck i don't even remember shit she's training with like the rest of them and whatnot wong is there and all this shit and she has no fucking clue what she's doing again it's like oh but you took down scarlet fucking witch who apparently now is dead i guess oh and then there was okay so we have the dark hold book what about the book of shanty so halfway through the movie suddenly this book of shanty the you know the thing that's going to counter the dark hold is no longer relevant as a matter of fact they don't even talk about it like it never comes up again it just disappeared from the movie. I understand. Like I said, there's apparently 40 minutes I was hacked from this movie. But you're making the movie a mess by... It, 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 oh, it was so fucking hard to watch this movie. Sam Raimi, I love. Bruce Campbell, I love. I still love Elizabeth Olsen and Benedict Cumberbatch. That, that, that will never change. Both of them are perfectly cast in their roles. But this movie is not what it could have been. This movie should have been a lot better. And making Scarlet Witch the villain, big fucking mistake should not have done it the movie does get a five out of ten and that's basically because of the visual sam gave us the performances the actors are pulling off despite being such an insulting story to their characters they still tried their hardest you can see that they are in this movie and they're trying they're they're trying to even the the little kid like the the, the girl that is playing uh, america you can see she's trying to act. Unfortunately, it's just it's a, it's a shit story and a shit plot. This movie 
was not what it should have been. I, like I said, I'll give it a 5 out of 10 because Sam Raimi did make some beautiful visuals on the screen. I will say some of the CGI, not that fucking good. Honestly, we it, Hollywood, get back to practical effects. If you're not going to do practical, stop. Uh, that I say that as Avatar just finally released their trailer 14 years later after the original movie. Yeah, it looks beautiful. <laughs> and that's with CGI. So, um... I will say that, but CGI done right can look beautiful. CGI done wrong can look like this fucking movie did at times. I'm giving myself a fever getting so mad. So that's it. I'm done. Sorry if I pissed you off. I'm sure Al will speak on your behalf when he says you need to shut the fuck up. Bring this guy some Pepto-Bismol.